0: You guys can have a seat. Welcome to Ordinary Faith this morning, both in person and uh, for these, you guys catching up on the stream online. Um, if you are new to us uh, or you did not get an email or a text message from Ordinary Faith yesterday, please text the word WELCOME to that number on the screen, 307-224-4404. And i got to put this down before I choke myself with it. All right, there we go. <clears throat> Uh, Also, just want to remind you guys that we're taking some donations this month, both financial and physical, for some different things in our community. Um, One of those is for the schools. We'd like to buy a case of masks for uh, for our students so that they uh, can have extra masks to use and so forth. But also for uh, the uh, food bank, if we can raise some dollars for them, every dollar we can raise for them will buy four meals. So we would like to raise some funds for those. Uh, You can give today. Uh, either an envelope in the back, or just write the word missions on it, so we'll know that it goes for that. You could text a dollar amount and the word missions to eight four three two one, uh, and and you could help with that. Uh, one thing I need to uh, add, it, tell you about: we had planned to fire off with kids' church next week. That's on hold until we kind of see how things go with the center for the next couple of weeks. So we will let you know as soon as we know something. But right now we don't know much, just like you don't know much. I mean, you probably know more than we do, actually. So. Uh, and then along with those donations, we're also collecting diapers for the food bank and for Inside Connection. There's some sizes on there, 3, 4, and 6, that they need at Inside Connection. So there you go. That's my announcement abilities. I don't do a great job, so I did what I could there. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate the applause. <coughs> Excuse me. I want to tell you what. I really would like you to give a big round of applause to the worship team. These guys, go ahead, man. <clears throat> I, uh, I'm throwing curse at them all the time, and they're just rolling with the punches, and I really appreciate them, uh, and so I just want to say thank you, worship team. I probably should do it in a more formal, official way, but we know how good I am at formal, which is not at all. So, all right, we're jumping in today to our third message in the series, not scared, or as I like to think of it affectionately as ain't scared, but uh, that's just me being me. Um. What I want to do today is I my my goal is to elevate all of our understanding of Jesus, to um, to to feed and fan the flames of your theology or the way you think about Jesus, and so to do that I'm going to look at several scriptures, some in Revelation, and uh, so I hope you'll bear with me. Uh, I hope that this will root your faith more deeply. So. Um, we're dealing with a few things today, but let's start with this, what I think the issue is about Jesus. So I'm going to start in Revelation 5.5. Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ as related to us, related to it, related as John told us about. <laughs> <laughs> um, so God, met God the Father revealed to God the Son what was going to happen, and John... is sharing that with us so in revelation chapter 5 we have this moment in heaven where john is in the throne room he's in mission control of all eternity and he's watching what's going on and he's reporting on what's going on and we're about to jump into this scene where there's a lot of weeping and wailing in the throne rooms of heaven because a book has been brought out that's going to set everything right and no one's worthy to open that book and so here's what happens revelation 5 5 but one of the 24 elders said to me stop weeping look The lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory, and he is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, I have to stop here, and and, and we need to see this. We need to see heaven weeping. We need to see John grieving. We need to hear this elder who's speaking to John, telling him, they found someone who's worthy to open the scroll, and the someone who is worthy is the lion of Judah. So if if someone has told you that the Lion of Judah is, is the one who's worthy and he's coming, what would you be looking for? You'd be looking for the Lion of Judah. Next verse. Then I saw a lamb. I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. Okay, this... I believe this passage captures our thinking about Jesus at this particular point in history very well. And what I mean by that is this. When we think of Jesus, we think of this lamb slaughtered before the foundation of the world. We think of Jesus, we think of the baby that was born, and angels were singing, and shepherds came to visit, and wealthy wise men came to give gifts. We think of Jesus who his parents lost him. That had to be a lot of pressure when losing the Son of God, right? They lost him. He was at the temple when he was 12 years old. They found him. Everything turned out okay. That perplexes us a little bit, but it's a cute story. And then you, you meet him at his baptism. This is the next scene. And you see this dove, what looks like a dove, ascend from heaven and settle upon him. You see him go out into the wilderness and fast 40 days and win a debate with the devil. There, survive the temptation and not fall that sin. You see him walk among the people in their towns and out in the fields, teaching, loving, healing, correcting. You see him in the temple, tearing the place apart on two different occasions. And then you see him accused. You see him on trial. You see him convicted. You see him condemned. You see him beaten. You see him nailed to a cross. You hear him say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then there on that cross, he dies. He stays dead for three days. And then on Sunday morning, He resurrects from the dead. That's the Jesus that we know and that we're familiar with. He's a loving Jesus. He's a patient Jesus. He's a direct Jesus, but he's not necessarily a forceful Jesus. The Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus does not change. But times do change. And there's coming a time in the history of all things where the corruption will reach a point, the maximum level that it can reach. Or it may be that the, the times will reach that so that the last person who could ever be saved and trust Jesus will be saved. I don't know what God's deciding line is on what this is going to look like. All I know is, is that there is a tipping point coming in history. There is a moment, a crescendo, and in that moment, you're going to meet Jesus in a way that you are unfamiliar with him. We have glimpses of this Jesus. When you see Abraham talking to the angel of the Lord about Sodom and Gomorrah, and in that conversation, you encounter both the mercy of God and the justice of God. You hear this mercy that's willing to let Abraham negotiate from 50 all the way down to 10 righteous people in order to save those cities. And you see that mercy, but you also encounter that justice, which is there are innocent who are being harmed. This city is corrupt and must be destroyed. So you have, you have this encounter and you know that the heart of heaven is mercy, but it's also just. And the mercy and the justice live in some kind of tension with each other. You see it again when Joshua is outside the city of Jericho, and he's looking over the impossible battle he has to begin fighting the next day. And he meets the angel of the Lord, the angel of heaven's hosts out there. And he asks, are you with us, are you for us? And that angel declares, I'm not with you or for you, I'm with the Lord's army. But in that discussion, you encounter this, this sense of justice, that is going to right the wrongs and the evil and the corruption of a city of Jericho. We meet it throughout the Bible that there is this tension with God Himself and in heaven between mercy and between justice. And that tension exists in Jesus. And what we're going to do today is we're going to see the Jesus we don't see very often. We're going to look at Jesus through a lens that we don't use very often. And that's this. Jesus... As the justice of God upon all that is wrong in the world. And what this is going to do for you is it's going to to fulfill or fill your knowledge of Jesus. And it's going to anchor you in the truth that God really does have what's going on in the world today. And that God really is going to straighten things out. So let's jump into Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. John, John telling us a story. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the word of God. The, the armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like the juice flowing from a wine press. And on his robe and at his thigh was written his title, King of all kings and Lord of Of all lords. This is Jesus. And I want you to see him through John's eyes. Because John was the one who revealed Jesus to us as the word of God. In John chapter 1 and that's very important for us to wrap our minds around that Jesus is the Word of God he is God's Word in the beginning was the word as the Bible says in John 1 1 and as we see in Revelation 19 he's going to be God's final word he's God's beginning word and God's final word he's God's first word and God's last word so when you think of Jesus Christ think of him like John did as the Word of God what is a word When you use a word, words mean things. I think we may have forgotten that at some point in history. But words mean things. When you say something, when it comes out your mouth, you are giving of yourself. You're expressing your thoughts, your ideas, your heart, your passion. It's your word coming out and it means something. And it does something. Well, Jesus is the word of God. And in the beginning, the word of God said, let there be light, and that was the the beginning word, and there was light in the world, because God wanted light, and because Jesus expressed that light out of the very mouth of God, out of his own mouth. So when we come into Revelation, we see that the, the one on the horse is the one who wore a robe dipped in blood, we'll get to that later, and his title was the word of God, what God reveals about himself. There's another passage in Isaiah 55, 11 that I think adds some texture to this. This is a passage we use a lot to, to describe how that God's word, his scriptures, will never return to him void. But I want you to think of it in a different way. Isaiah 55:11 says out of the NIV, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. This is God speaking through Isaiah. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it so you see here's god saying that the word comes out of my mouth and it accomplishes and it doesn't return empty and we learn from john 1 1 that jesus is the word of god and we learn from revelation chapter 19 that the one who is faithful and true his name is actually the word of god so what i want you to see here is that god's word is coming at us coming to us coming to this world through jesus christ he's the thought and the expression of god You want to know God? You want to have a relationship with God? You want to encounter God? Well, you have to encounter the Word of God. Who is this man, Jesus? You have to know what he's like. I I love the Bible. I think the Bible's awesome. I love it, it's got so many cool nuances. I love how it's connected in different places. I love the history behind it. I could rant all day about how much I love the Bible. But here's the thing. The Bible, Jesus said to a group of very educated theologians one time, he says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have life, but they lead to me. The Bible is a pathway to the word of God. It is the word of God that leads us to the word of God. The scriptures take us to Jesus. And so, Jesus Christ is God's word. He's God's first word, God's last word, God's beginning word, God's final word and the bible says in john one eighteen, no one's ever seen god but the one and only son who is himself god is in closest relationship with the father has made him known i want to encourage you to get to know jesus i want to encourage you to read those that matthew mark luke john the first couple chapters of acts and look and read the things that jesus said and did And I want you to do that. I love the epistles, which is everything after Acts, okay? Romans, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, all those letters. I love the things that the apostles wrote about Jesus. But I want to challenge you to get into the Gospels and actually get as firsthand as you can information about what Jesus Christ himself actually said and did. Why? Because Jesus is the Word of God. And if you want to hear the word of God, if you want to meet God, encounter God, know God, the only way to do that is to encounter Jesus Christ, the word from God. But I also want to see something else about Jesus Christ. No, before I say that, forget I just said that last sentence. You can forget. You guys awake? I know it's hard with the masks on. You can sleep. and You know what I like about masks? I don't have to smile as much. I go into Walmart, I got my mask on. I used to go in there and i just smile at people. People thought I was a nut, you know? Now I don't have to do that. It's making me sad. So now I'm smiling. I'm back to smiling. Anyway, I just want you to... Back to the message. I just needed to see if you were here. You are. We're good now. Back to Jesus is the Word of God. I want you to know, I want to think about how powerful it is that God gave us a word and that God gave us Jesus. It's a powerful thing as we're seeing in Revelation 19. Powerful like... Um, Several years ago, I went out shooting with a friend. Now I won't tell you who he is, but his first initial is his first name is Jason. Uh, I went out shooting with a friend, and um, he loads his own ammunition. Now, I can't do that. I mean, my my pancakes blow up, so I can't imagine what would happen if I tried to load ammunition. But anyway, he loads his own ammunition. He was he's a he's a distance shooter. He likes to shoot a mile away at things that I can't even see. He goes, I hit it, and I'm going. Did, what anyway? I can't hear right now. But anyway, so I'm standing behind him as he's, he's zeroing in his rifle at, at this insane distance that day, and I hadn't been shooting with someone who, of this particular caliber of a rifle before, and I was wearing this Australian cowboyish like hat. Uh, it's one of my favorite hats. I, I still have it. And anyway, I was standing ten feet behind him, and he he was getting ready to shoot, and I'm watching him. He pulled the trigger. And the, the air flow off of that bullet, the concussion of that round, blew my hat off of my head 10 feet behind him. I was impressed and thankful that I wasn't on the other side of that rifle. Another time that I experienced a power that was greater than I could understand was a friend of mine in Missouri had an Alaskan Malamute. And this thing weighed, I'm not kidding, 185 pounds, which is big for the breed. I looked it up to see what their average was. And their average is around 125. But this was a big one, 185 pound dog, and I never thought I was scared of dogs, never did. But one day I went out to their house when he wasn't there, and my family and I were going to go use his swimming pool, and we got out of the vehicle and that dog came out for a visit, and when he barked, my soul felt like it came loose from my body. I mean, I I, I released in a way I didn't know you could release. It was terrifying. Raw power. That's the power of Jesus. I mean, those are just silly examples. Jesus is this powerful word of God. Mighty, powerful word of God that is from God. And it's a word that is for you. But I need to add a dot, dot, dot there, or it could be against you. It's for you, but it could be against you. So back into Revelation 19, we've seen the horse come out. We've seen him who's faithful and true. The one with the title of King of all kings and Lord of all lords. The one who's called the Word of God. He's out and behind him in Revelation 19, 14, it says, The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. Now there's a lot of arguments about who this army is behind him. Is it angels? Is it believers? I I don't know. All I know is this, they're following the word. They are literally following the word of God into battle, okay? And so they're behind the word. Now, there's a few things we can extract from the text. Okay, first of all, they're literally following the word. Second of all, they don't fight in the battle. They're an army behind the word of God, the one who's faithful and true on a horse, They don't swing a sword. They don't get bloody. They don't do anything. They just follow the Word of God. That's that's what they do. The Word of God wins the battle. Jesus wins the battle. They're victorious by virtue of the fact that they're there. They win by virtue of the fact that they chose the right side. Does that make sense? And so they're following the Word of God. So this begs a question for me. What does it mean to literally follow God? The Word of God. It also creates a conundrum. Can you follow Jesus, the Word of God, without following the Scriptures or the Bible? Can you ignore the Bible and still follow Jesus as the Word of God? I don't think you can do that. I think one leads to the other. I think that the Bible leads you to Jesus, just like Jesus said to those Pharisees. Here's the problem with that, though. I live in a world that the Bible has this path. It's straight and it's narrow. It does not care what culture does. It doesn't care what the media says, what Hollywood represents. I live in a world where the Bible is this, this path, but culture is way out here in no man's land. In this place that is so far removed from the consistency of God's word that the normal in which we live makes argues that this straight line, this path is ridiculous because it's so far removed from the culture in which we live. Now, I, you know, I'm old enough that I, when I was younger, it seemed to me like culture was a little closer. I'm not going to say a lot closer, but let's just say that culture was maybe out here, and now it's moved out here. Here's the problem, guys. There's a generation, and it may be you, struggling with the validity and the relevance of God's Word. And so I want to tell you that this is my belief and how you, if you get here or not, I I don't know that I have any power over that, but I want to encourage you that, that there, that this Bible, this thing called the Bible can be trusted and that even though there are times I don't like it, I love it. You ever had something you kind of love, but then sometimes it hurts your feelings? Like, I don't know, your kids, your parents, the Bible's like that. I love it. It gives me life. It literally gives me life. But sometimes it says things I don't like. I see the Bible as like a plumb line, and it, it lays out how things are. And anytime I disagree with it, the Bible's not wrong. I'm wrong. Now, if you're not there, I, I want to challenge you to consider that possibility that the Bible will present a truth that will guide you to the truth that's represented there and will give you a a clear path in life and will guide you into real life. So Jesus the word of God and I want to challenge you to follow the word of God because in this scene, there are two groups of people. There are those behind the word of God following him And there are those in front of the Word of God resisting Him. It doesn't turn out well for those in front. You see, there's victors and there's losers in this battle. And the determining factor is which side of the Word of God, of Jesus, you're on. Does that make sense? And so there are those who resist the Word of God, resist Jesus, resist His love and forgiveness, but especially resist His truth and His justice. They resist that, and they are now going to be destroyed by the very truth that they hate. It's a terrible place to be. So I want to challenge you to be on the right side of that line, to be protected by the Word of God, even from the Word of God, and to follow the Word of God, because Jesus is the Word from God, and He's the Word for you if you follow Him. But also, Jesus is the word of God. John, uh, Revelation 19.15. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. Whew, I ran out of breath there. Hang on. I'm, I used to have a pastor that said, I'm the only windmill in town that runs on water. Doesn't make sense now, does it? Anyway, all the cowboys get it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release The fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. And on his robe and on his thigh was written this title, The King of Kings and Lord of All Lords. The King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. What you need to see here is that all that's wrong in the world, the pride, the lust, the sin, the rebellion, the corruption, the death, See, all of those things, they have something to say. All of those things are words, so to speak. They're not the word of God. They're the word of sin, the word of corruption, the word of lies, the word of death. All of those things have something to say. When Adam rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden, he decided that he would be in charge of his life instead of God. That was something he said. His actions said something. They said, I'll be my own boss. When Lucifer set on... or tri- Uh, uh, in his mind planned to take the throne of god and wanted all creation to worship him he said something he said i am god adam said i'll be my own i'll i'll make my own decisions and lucifer said i'll be the one who's worshiped." all of those things have an expiration date all that sin all that corruption all those lies all that death all that sorrow all those tears they have an expiration date They're going to end, and no matter what they say, no matter how loudly they say it, eventually, they're going to meet the Word of God as proclaimed from Jesus Christ in this battle, and they're going to be destroyed. This is what you need to know, that God has a Word, and His name is Jesus, and that Word is the first word that said, let there be light, and it's the final word that will end all that's wrong in this world. And so there is an expiration date on everything that is not God and everything that doesn't worship God. Those that worship money and greed, they have an expiration date. Those that worship power and oppression, they're going to be destroyed. Those who worship comfort and self-indulgent, sex and lust, murder and hate, all of that ends at the Word of Jesus. This person that many have seen as soft. And quiet, and even wimpy or hippie, this same Jesus is going to stand and speak. And all of that, all that evil, is going to end because he is justice. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. That's Jesus Christ. Amen? You, do you get that? I mean, it's Jesus. I, I would go, hey, Jesus, yay! You know, I get all excited. All right. The Bible says this in Psalm 2, beautiful passage. Why are the nations so angry? Doesn't it feel like the whole world is just mad right now? Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against His anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. Boy, that's what's going on. But the one who rules in the heavens laughs. The ones who rules in the heavens laughs. And they say God doesn't have a sense of humor. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger, he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I've placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem and on my holy mountain. So guys, here is this, oh, this, This is Jesus. This is the Jesus that many don't know. This Jesus who is grace and mercy and forgiveness, but who is also justice. How can there be peace? How can there be heaven? How can there be eternal rest if everything isn't set right? Do you understand? And there's a day coming where Jesus makes it right. So here's what I want to do with this. What I want to ask you to do with this. I want to ask you to rethink Jesus today. I don't want you to lose that forgiveness and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. I don't want you to lose that or forget it. I want to add to that. And I want you to think of Jesus not only as the, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, but I also want you to think of Jesus as the strong and mighty warrior. My personal opinion is that Jesus Christ was the toughest dude who ever lived. That's my personal opinion. And and I don't believe that just because I I love Jesus. I believe that because of what he endured. He was was a normal guy from outside appearances. Everything he did here on earth, he did in a human body. And and in that body, he suffered and was beaten. The Bible says to a point beyond recognition. And all of that, I I just see this... This tough Jesus. So, the, the fact that people have this idea of Jesus that's soft, the idea that's out there that's like, um, you know, if you follow Jesus, he's for the weak minded or, or he's a crutch, whatever, that kind of thinking blows my mind because I can't even begin to see Jesus that way because I've actually read the Bible and, 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 and seen in it Jesus Christ. And what he really is and what he's really done. The Bible says in Revelation 19, 13, he wore a robe dipped in blood. Let me tell you, this is not a reference to his death on the cross. This is a this is a reference to Isaiah 63, which he which is also in the text where he talks about treading out the grapes and the, the juice from the grapes coming out of the wine press. That's what stained the bottom of his robe. It is a picture of wrath. Guys, there is a reason. That when Jesus came to earth, all the theologians of Judaism at the time missed him. And here was the main reason. The Bible talked about a Messiah coming back to express the wrath of God and to make all things right and bring justice into the world. And so when Jesus came, they they didn't meet Jesus the Messiah as the judge. They met the Messiah as the, the, the earner, the giver of grace and forgiveness and mercy. But here's the thing. That Messiah that's going to make things right is still coming. There's the second trip. This mighty Jesus. This strong warrior who crushes his enemies. This warrior who deserves respect. And that's what I want to help you with right now. Jesus deserves your respect. Is Jesus my best friend? Yes. Is he my buddy? I probably don't have the courage to say that. I mean, yes, he's, he's my dearest friend, but not in the sense that I would throw my arm over Jesus and say, hey, what are we doing today, bro? I don't think that would happen. Why? I wouldn't do that to a sitting president of the United States even if I didn't like him. You know what I'm saying? Jesus is a mighty warrior. He's bad to the bone. In fact, he showed us all his bones while they beat the tire out of him. He's tough. He's tough. And so Jesus is a warrior. And to those who think that following Jesus is for the wimpy and for the nice guys, and they think that being a Christian is being nice, going to church and keeping your mouth shut, you don't know Jesus. I I almost said you don't know my Jesus. But it doesn't matter my Jesus, your Jesus. The Jesus of the Bible stood up, and he destroyed the works of Satan. He stood up to the devil himself. I don't know a human being who's actually done that. Stood up to the devil himself and won. Okay? So if you think Jesus is for the weak, I'm sorry. I don't mean to insult you. It's going to sound like that. I, I, I kind of apologize. I kind of not. You ain't man enough to follow this warrior. That's what I'm here to tell you. This guy's real. Jesus is real and deserves our respect, deserves us to follow him. Deserves us to walk. I mean, he deserves that we walk in his footsteps and do what he did, meaning we also destroy the works of the devil. Everywhere we see the devil at work, we step in the middle of that business and put it down by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Jesus is a warrior. Do you you agree with me? Amen? Okay, I got a few people. Okay, good. Jesus is a warrior, strong warrior. Jesus is a worthy commander. Listen to this passage. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. These people submitted to Jesus as their commander. What is it? Now here's, I'm about to, I don't want I, sometimes I, I say too many things all at once and it sounds like I'm stuttering here. What, I want, what I'm trying to get out is this. I think most Christians today believe that they are submitted to Jesus. And yet their prayer lives typically are telling Jesus what to do rather than asking Jesus how to obey. You see, if Jesus is your commander, you do what he says. But if you think you command Jesus, you tell him what you want him to do. And so a lot of our prayers are, Jesus, I need you to fix my marriage. You need to deal with this election, Jesus. God, you need to do something about my wife. Guys, that's not how you serve and submit to a worthy commander. No soldier goes to his commanding officer and orders him around. What we do is we go to our worthy commander and we ask him to do in us and through us what's going to destroy the works of the enemy in our lives. Because you have problems in your life and I have problems in my life. And do you know what's the center of all of my problems? Me. I'm my biggest problem. And I need Jesus to fix me. And I find that the more that Jesus does in me, the more that the relationships around me, the finances around me, all the things around me begin to calm down. Because... I'm usually the eye of my own storm. Does that make sense? So I want you to rethink Jesus as a worthy commander. Someone that you do what he says instead of looking for things for him to do for you. Flip that on its head. Make sense? Rethink Jesus. Strong warrior. He's worthy of your respect. Worthy commander. He's worthy of you doing what he says, not ordering around. And then the last thing I'll look at is this in verse 11 of 19. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and a name was written on him that no one understood except himself. Jesus is the righteous judge. He's the only one who can and who will make everything right. Every soul that's ever been abused or murdered, He's going to make that right. Every life that's been taken that shouldn't have been, He's going to make it right. Every disease that ever trumped this planet, He's going to make that right. This is what justice is about. The greed, the oppression, the racism, the hate, the lust, the abuse even those who have been martyred for Christ, all that has been aimed at them, He's going to make it all right. He is the righteous judge. A view of Jesus that that only sees Him as a Savior is not enough. In fact, I would argue that that view sets you up for the potential of walking away from your faith because you need more than just a Savior. We need a warrior for times such as these. We need a commander for times such as these. And we need a righteous judge to make this all right. There's that picture and revelation of those souls crying out for justice underneath that altar. And some of those will be us. And as they cry out, we realize that there is a need in the universe. There is a need in eternity for things to be made right. And Jesus is the one who's going to do that. So I want to leave you with three thoughts. Three questions you got to ask you. First question, what is Jesus to you? Is He the Lamb that was sacrificed? Or is He the Lion of Judah? want to ask yourself is jesus my commander or am i my commander and i want you to ask yourself is jesus the judge of the world and if he is is that wonderful or what that the judge of the world is the very one who died for it let's pray father thank you Thank you, that, thank you that you could spend your entire life studying the words and actions of Jesus and the words and actions of prophecy about Jesus and, and you would never get to the bottom of the infinity and the perfection and the righteousness that is Jesus. Thank You that our subject is infinite. I pray the day that as we worship Jesus, as we sing to Him, I pray that every life comes to terms with what Jesus is to them. And I pray that those terms are biblical ones, that those terms that they come to are ones that Jesus has said about himself and not things we have made up about Him. Lord, thank you that we serve the King of kings and the Lord of all lords. Thank you that our judge is the righteous judge who died for us. Thank you that our commander in this battle is for us and against everything us. Praise the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together.